Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Welcome to Project Zion. I'm Karen Peter, and this is a brand new Project Zion podcast series about ministry with children and youth called Steamers and Sodas. And we're going to be talking about all kinds of topics that relate to children and youth discipleship, resources that are out there um, in Community of Christ for children and youth, and the ministries in Community of Christ that are dedicated towards children and youth. And so today our conversation is one of several that have to do with children and their worth and their safety. And our guest is David Davis from Community of Christ headquarters in the legal department where David is a legal counsel. And for us lay people, that means he's an attorney for the church. And we are going to chat a little bit about ministry with children in regard to child safety in Community of Christ. So welcome, David. Thank you. Would you please tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself, like where you live, your family, and your ministry in Community of Christ, both your ministry congregationally and your ministry in your employment? Certainly. Well, first of all, I'd like to uh, thank you, Karen, for having me on uh, here to this uh, to this podcast and speaking on uh, on a topic that uh, that I'm passionate about and really uh, uh, enjoy speaking on uh, kind of the, the ways in which we can help protect children uh, in, in our denomination. Uh, as you mentioned, my name is uh, Dave Davis. I'm a, a legal counsel with Community of Christ. I live here in Independence, uh, Missouri, and uh, uh, grew up and, and still have family near the uh, Far West Historic Site area, uh, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. It's north of Kansas City, about uh, about an hour or so. I serve in the office of elder uh, and attend the, the Far West and, and Walnut Gardens congregations. Uh, and so that sometimes will entail all kinds of things that I do for ministry within the within those congregations uh, and things, although I've uh, backed off of some of those recently as I've uh, entered the uh, Community of Christ Seminary program and are, are kind of working towards that for the next couple of years, which is, uh, as you might imagine, taking up quite a bit of my time outside of work hours. Uh, so. Yes, indeed. So you're <laughs> back in school. Well, good yes, for you. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a familiar and yet new adventure all at the same time. <laughs> Very different than when you got your, uh, what is it, Juris Doctorate? Is that what that's called? That's right. That's right. Uh, Kind of uh, graduated from law school with a Juris Doctorate. So, uh, but... um, uh, but I do uh, I do work here in the Office of General Counsel with uh, other attorneys and staff, uh, and part of my role uh, in the office is to oversee the youth protection program and work with church leadership and local administrators to implement the church's child protection policies. And uh, so we see that um, both as a legal necessity, uh, but in all honesty, it, it really, we view it as a, as a ministry that, that's offered to and for the, the church uh, to really help people live out our enduring principle of, of the worth of all persons and how we can value even the most vulnerable uh, who are coming and, and wanting to participate in our, in our church activities. So you mentioned um, the, the worth of all persons, and so I want to just 
kind of give an overview. So many of our listeners are new to Community of Christ, um, some of them coming from an LDS background where worthiness interviews are conducted one-on-one with church leaders and parents are usually not in the room with their children when the children are interviewed. Now, these interviews you may have seen in the news um, have sparked a protest by some people um, in the LDS tradition because they often include questions about sexual thoughts and behaviors. And this has become a concern Um, to many people in that tradition. And so people are asking us, because we do have worth of all persons, and that word worth in one of our enduring principles, is this the same thing as worthiness interviews? Do we have those in Community of Christ? Uh, So uh, I'm not overly familiar with with worthiness interviews and that concept, other than than perhaps what I've picked up in, in kind of news uh, stories and things. So I'm not really in a position to speak to kind of what goes on in, in other denominations, um, uh, such as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, but I'm not aware of, of similar to what you've described, being um, official interviews within, within Community of Christ in our denomination. When we talk about worth of all persons, that, that does not um, relate to, to what you've described there. Um, that is uh, part of what we call our enduring principles that are sort of things that we think of as, as disciples and members of community of Christ, we should uphold and worth of all persons talks more about the worth of each individual and how we should hold that up and help them express that. Not about whether someone is worthy or not of, of something. Excellent. So we're talking about two distinctly different things. So for people that have had concerns and or maybe just questions about how do we protect children in Community of Christ from uh, inappropriate encounters, what does child safety look like um, in Community of Christ? Can you tell us a little bit what that is? You mentioned two things, youth worker registration and you mentioned child safety. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about what that is and what that looks like. So let's start with who's qualified to work with kids and youth. So in terms of, of who we would view as, as qualified to work with, with kids and youth, I guess I would answer that by, by uh, kind of walking you through and saying we would require that anyone who is working with children and youth uh, in a community of Christ activity must be a registered youth worker um, or a registered youth worker assistant if the right policies are followed. And to become a registered youth worker, uh, you would have to go through two things. There's a registration process and there's a a training uh, session that you would have to to go through to become a registered youth worker with uh, with Community of Christ. Uh, As I mentioned, that is uh, mandatory for anyone who is working with children and youth at at our activities. Uh, But it's also something that's, that's required for all employees of the church, uh, as well as um, the church's policy is, is that all priesthood within a community of Christ should uh, become registered youth workers as well. The registration process, that first part of that, uh, entails an application that someone would fill out with their information, as well as some references uh, that would that one of our administrators would then check on those references, interview them, and see uh, whether they felt like the that person was was a good person to work with children and youth, 
And they would also uh, do a personal interview where they would talk with an administrator about why they wanted to be a youth worker and uh, and what experience they brought to it, what training they'd had in uh, either through the church or through their own uh, personal life. Uh, many, many of our uh, youth workers serve as teachers and as as other uh, positions in their own communities and have done several things of, of youth worker training as part of that. And so uh, would go through that process uh, of filing the application. It would then get uh, reviewed up the administrative uh, chain and then would, would reach our office and we would kind of do a final review of it. And if there were no issues uh, or concerns, would then... Um, approve someone to be a registered youth worker, they, they would be notified that that had happened and they could, they could then um, begin working with children and youth. Uh, and so long as they, they complied with the church's child protection policies, then, then uh, would, uh, would serve in that, be able to serve in that role. So you said that the two essential pieces of this were the registration and the training. So who can take the training? And do you have to be a member? That's a great question. Uh, So no, uh, you don't have to be a member to take the training, nor uh, do you have to be a member to become a registered youth worker. Um, We do process applications from what we internally call friends of the church, who are others who are not members, but do participate in some capacity in Community of Christ um, events or activities, and they can become registered youth workers as well. Now, I will say that um, part of that process uh, that's indicated in in the guidelines for that application is there's an expectation that to become a youth worker, we prefer if you've been um, what we call affiliated, uh, not necessarily a member, but uh, are known and kind of uh, aware of uh, with with a congregation for at least six months. And that's one of our um, safeguards so that we're not immediately registering someone who we don't know and have no experience with as a youth worker and putting them in a position where they're um, in direct contact with, with youth. We, we feel like that, that six months is a good time period to get a sense of who someone is and if there are concerns that we would have with them working with children and youth. Um, if they're not able to qualify for that and and the local people feel like they still want to pursue that. We've, we've built into our process um, a, an option that if they can provide some more robust references who are people that we would trust to give us an objective viewpoint of whether they are a, um, a good candidate to be a youth worker or not, whether that be a, a pastor of their own um, congregation um, uh, or ward where they are at, at currently, or whether it be a someone that they work with um, who who would have some knowledge of them working with children and youth, or sometimes what's best is uh, a reference who is someone who's worked with them in another organization where they worked with children and youth that could speak to their abilities. Uh, sometimes that will give us the level of confidence that even even short of that six months we might register that. But our preference is is that you have. Uh, affiliated with a congregation um, for at least six months to get a sense of of whether you'd be a good candidate or not. So we've um, we've been affiliated for six months. We've registered, done our registration. How do we get the training? How does that happen? So the training um, at this point is uh, primarily a live uh, training where we would have a trainer come and sit with either an individual or ideally a group of individuals 
who either are needing to take the training for the first time or are looking to retake it and and have a refresher on on the the training. We call it the child protection core training, which is the required training that they have to follow um, or or that they have to to go through. The uh, the core training uh, gives an overview of issues, helps people understand that even in um, areas, congregations, and activities where we feel like we know everyone involved, that we still need to be diligent about following the child protection guidelines to not create a situation where we put a child in, in harm's way. And uh, so kind of giving an overview of the need for child protection, as well as helping kind of give them some terminology and understanding of what abuse is or how it might occur, and then walks them through what the safeguards are that the church puts in place uh, to avoid the risk of, of abuse. Uh, we've talked about a couple of them already, which is the, the screening uh, process through the, the youth registration for, the, for youth workers, uh, the training that they have to sit through. Um, uh, I, I shouldn't say it that way. It's not training they have to sit through. It's training they get to sit through because it's, you go. it's very important uh, for them to do that. But, uh, but uh, then also kind of starts walking them through uh, what the church expects out of youth workers when it comes to the guidelines of how to work with children and youth uh, to not put themselves or the children in compromising positions. And then also uh, gets a little bit into some kind of uh, relational boundaries, things that we, we look at and try and say, what are good kind of interpersonal boundaries that you as a worth, youth worker should be setting when you're working with children and, and youth? Um, we do have other trainings that, that uh, are offered for people that are interested. Usually uh, they can contact the, uh, the mission center uh, officers there in their, in their um, area or their congregation pastor or someone at that level, and they can request that, that, that uh, go more deeply into those uh, boundaries, uh, relational boundaries issues, as well as um, some things with, with if you're going to be a camp counselor that are more catered to those types of environments and things like that. But the, the basic training is the core training uh, that we call, which is what every youth worker is required to, to take before they uh, can become a registered youth worker and work with children and youth. So when we take the training, that would be the time we were exposed to what you mentioned before, which are child protection policies and practices that we have in place. Can you give us a couple of examples of that so our listeners understand what, what we're talking about? Certainly. So, uh, so I, would, I would say that, that in addition to the training, uh, some of the, this material is, would be on, on the website through the child protection page that you can find at Community Price website. So if, if people are curious, certainly they can they go to that website and, and, and look for more information uh, or contact our office. But okay. uh, to your specific question about uh, particular guidelines that are there, one of the biggest guidelines that, that we kind of talk about is we refer to it as the two by two rule, um, which in essence means that no youth worker and child, especially an unrelated child, should be alone uh, in a room behind a closed door without supervision. And so, so the two by two rule indicates that for groups of children and youth, when we're working with them, having two youth workers or at least a, a youth worker and a youth worker assistant present is the ideal uh, for that situation. So that we have, um, which helps to uh, address some principles uh, that are factors in, in 
risk of abuse situation. So what we want to do with that is we want to reduce the level of isolation there. So we shouldn't have a youth worker and a child isolated, um, which can increase the level, the, the risk of abuse. We want to have some accountability there for the youth worker. So it's not them on their own, but they are working with someone else who they're accountable to. Um, and as well, we have, uh, we don't want to have a situation where there's an imbalance of power where there, you have a someone who has a lot of power over the other individual who's alone with them. We have hopefully have a more balance of power with having those two youth workers present. And so the two by two rule helps us to kind of remember, hey, we don't wanna be in a compromising situation where there's, there's a, a higher level of risk of abuse happening. Um, it's also fairly easy for most youth workers to remember that I need to have someone else present with me uh, on that. Um, and generally is, is just, I think we have a historic tradition of having ministry done by, by uh, pairs of, of two that have gone out and provided ministry. So that, that kind of ties in nicely as, as well. Going to um, get it, biblical on us there, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Very historic. Uh, so another rule. So sometimes, uh, admittedly, there are times where if, say, you are working with a group and a child wanted to have a private conversation with you, you, you know, as a, as a camp counselor or as a, as a youth minister or whatever, you don't want to take them to a secluded area. And so what we've talked about there is even if it's a private chat, trying to maintain kind of a visual one-to-one. So you would talk with another youth worker, say, hey, I'm going to pull little Johnny or little Susie aside or, or whoever, and, and, uh, and, and we're going to have a conversation, but we'll be on kind of this bench over here. And I, I need you to kind of maintain a visual on us at all times so that, so that you're aware of what's going on. And we kind of have that, that oversight, which helps to, to keep that accountability, even when uh, meeting on a kind of one-on-one basis. It's also why we, we, you know, when we're doing construction of new churches and trying to remodel uh, church buildings, trying to put door, uh, windows and doors and things like that. So, so even if there's a, a need for a closed door meeting, there's still a way to maintain kind of a visual presence, uh, even if you're not in the room, in the conversation with, with the, the people. Right. Very similar to what we have in many school systems. Certainly. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned, uh, while you were sharing and giving us some examples, you mentioned the youth, a registered youth worker assistant. And can you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, a lot of times um, our youth workers are, uh, we would consider the, uh, a necessity of you being uh, 21 or older to be, a, to be a registered youth worker in Community of Christ. However, we often find that there are, are uh, youth and, and, uh, and young adults who would like to participate in youth ministry before they reach the age of 21. And so what we've done is set up uh, part of our program where if you're between the ages of 15 and 21, you can go through the same process as you would to be a youth worker and will become registered as a, as a youth worker assistant rather than a, a registered youth worker. Uh, some, uh, if, if you have a camping background, you might be familiar with the idea of like a counselor in training, a CIT, as opposed to being a regular counselor. Um, and so there are some more uh, specific kind of guidelines and and requirements for a youth worker assistant. For example, they would not be able to, you know, we would not want them to be alone in charge of a group. They would need to have some supervision from a youth worker while they were working with them. But that gives an opportunity for those 
who want to work with children and youth and haven't yet reached the age of 21 to do so. Uh, the requirements would still be as uh, the same as, as to be a youth worker, so they would still go through the registration process, and they would still uh, do the training and become familiar with those same concepts. Uh, and then once they, if they wanted to, when they turned 21, then, they, then we would go ahead and transfer them to becoming a youth worker at that point in time. Uh, it also, it also creates people. an issue where that I might mention on that thing is that even though we do register people as youth worker assistants, we do have kind of an age policy um, in terms of who you can work with as an assistant and try and create a gap of at least two years um, older before you would be able to work with, with those kids and trying to avoid, you know, people who are too close in age being in a uh, leadership or, or accountability role over someone who, who's not that far from their age. And so, so we have some, some other uh, guidelines related to that, that staff age policy that, that are also applied to, to youth worker assistance. Now that makes sense. So you've given us an, kind of an overview of what we have in place to help us provide child safety in a ministry and community of Christ with children and youth. And this obviously is the area in which um, you function a great deal. How is child protection monitored, if you will? We talked about oversight and accountability and partnerships. We're not immune to problems in community of Christ. I mean, we're part of the human condition. So how is this process monitored? So I think there's kind of a, a macro level. So from our point of view here that I'm working on that in terms of um, evaluating policies and seeing what works and, and what we may want to revise as we as we move forward, how we can address um, issues that either arise or potential issues that, that could arise. Um, and so kind of looking at it from the broad perspective. But in terms of, of monitoring uh, of it on an ongoing basis, um, we are blessed with a uh, membership and, and several amongst that who are passionate about child protection and, and will, will raise concerns and issues if someone uh, is either acting inappropriately as a youth worker or struggling to comply with those expectations for youth workers. Uh, usually they would raise that with um, their pastor or their mission center uh, president or another officer um, at kind of the regional level to, to discuss it. They in turn would, would contact our office and we would have some some discussions. If there's an, an, an issue where someone has either reported abuse or uh, has witnessed actual abuse, so in this case, we're not talking about, uh, hey, I, I'm not sure that we've got some borderline behavior with a youth worker, but an actual case of, of kind of we're, we, we have a, a good faith belief that there's abuse that's occurred or happening, then, uh, then we um, certainly uh, would comply with with state requirements. Many states require a mandatory reporting process, and we, as a church, even in states where it's not required by state law, um, we view all youth workers as mandatory reporters. And so, we would expect that if that uh, happened with a youth worker, you would uh, report to the appropriate uh, state agency and and talk with them uh, to say uh, what you witnessed or w- was reported to you, and then would also alert um, alert us so that we would be aware from an internal uh, perspective uh, that there's a concern about a particular youth worker. If there's no police involvement. Uh, and a concern is raised, we would still uh, begin uh, an investigative process that we have in place uh, to look into the allegations to see if there 
uh, credible and if they and if um, if we need to take action on it. And uh, and if that were the case, and and it was determined that yes, we do need to take action internally, either in addition to or or uh, even if there's not a criminal punishment for some active action, then uh, then we have some mechanisms here whereby someone's youth worker status uh, might be suspended or revoked uh, based on on some behavior uh, that that they that they did. Um, I would also mention that uh, if uh, if your listeners um, are concerned about it, that uh, our, our policy is is that no one who's, who has been convicted of uh, child sexual abuse and abuse would be would be able to become a registered youth worker with with Community of Christ. So that would be a, a non-starter if if someone try, wanted to become registered if they'd been convicted of that in a court of law. There are others who have had other issues in their past unrelated to kind of child abuse or other things who, who might still be able to be registered, but might go to what we call a special circumstances team who would, who would evaluate more deeply that, that application on that. And as you were talking, different scenarios kind of played out in my mind. So in regard to mandatory re- reporting, so let's say I witnessed something that um, I would judge to be inappropriate and border on ministerial abuse, but that person's a really good friend of mine. Wouldn't I just want to talk to them privately and not actually tell anybody? Yeah, I understand your concern uh, there with with that scenario. I think um, that would be problematic from my point of view for for a couple of reasons. I understand the want to do that uh, on that. However, really, I would have to say that that not reporting it to someone else um, is not fair to either the person or anyone else who they're providing ministry for. Um, sometimes it can be that a quiet conversation can stop some behavior that's that's going in a bad direction. Yes, but not having others be aware of that makes it so it's not, that person is not as accountable for future behavior. And so just having that quiet conversation may mean that there are other times where it happens when you're not around or it may put that person in a position where they don't feel like they have the level of accountability that we would really like to see in a youth worker and could really use uh, some conversations with someone else in a ministerial position or otherwise who also uh, maybe has struggled with that or has some advice on how to handle those so they can react in a better way. Um, And certainly we want to take precautions so that if, if your friend, even as nice as they are, and you think that you know them quite well, is someone who is intentionally looking to harm a, a child or youth or commit something that's that's what we might call grooming behavior or preparing the child to become a victim of, of, uh, of abuse. We want to forestall that and, and get them out of a position where they would have the ability to do so. And so by raising it internally, that helps to put both the individual on notice, but also others who would be in a position to help work with them in the future or to make the decision that they need to not be a youth worker moving forward on that. And really, I would say that, that, that I understand your concern for your friend, but putting them in that position of, of making themselves the only one who they're accountable to really is a disservice to them as much as it, as it is to all those who they'd be providing ministry for. So when we talk mandatory reporting, we mean mandatory reporting. Right? Yes, yes, and and that and and your example, depending on what you what you witnessed, 
may, might not rise to the level where you would be required to report to the state, um, although it may. And so you might be required, we would consider it as a youth worker, and if you don't report it to the state, then we would, that's, that's reason enough for us to call into question your own youth worker status um, uh, to, to not do that. And, and potentially, because uh, youth worker status is tied in with, uh, with priesthood as a matter of, of policy here, uh, could, could endanger someone's priesthood status uh, on that too. But there are times where we understand that people are not comfortable making that type of call to a state agency. And that's why it's, it's crucial to let someone else know who, if, if you as an individual are not comfortable doing it, although the state agency would prefer to talk with the person who witnessed the issue or received the initial report, we have in the past made those report for youth workers uh, on that with the understanding that they may be contacted at a later point to provide more additional information if it's necessary. Um, but, but we, our mind, main priority is making sure that uh, if there is a report of abuse, whether it be on at a church activity or in all honesty, sometimes uh, where some, a child who is coming to a, a youth activity uh, mentions that there's abuse that has occurred in their home or in other places mm-hmm. that we also would consider be, to be something that needed to be uh, reported, that that, that that happens. And and uh, and we make sure that we're reporting both to a, a state agency who's in a position if there needs to be a, a criminal investigation, as well as an internal uh, reporting to the, to the church so that we are aware of the situation. We don't want youth workers to feel like that their only option is to report internally because uh, we want to be transparent and make sure that that uh, those things that need to be reported to the state agencies uh, for for other investigation it, are done. Uh, that those are not just handled in house or internally, but we involve the, the the proper authorities in that process. So I want to let our listeners know that mandatory reporting is uh, broader than children and youth ministry. It includes other aspects and other demographics as well. And so um, Dave has agreed to do another interview with us a little bit later, where we're going to explore more fully mandatory reporting, what that looks like, um, accountability, and why that um, would go kind of under the umbrella or fall under the umbrella of our enduring principle of uh, responsible choices. And so we'll look at that. You can look forward to that um, at another time to further explore safety. Uh, for children and youth and other uh, vulnerable persons within the community and outside of the community. So I did wonder, as you were describing the different uh, processes that we have in place for children and youth, for protection of children and youth, how does the Community of Christ Youth Worker Protection kind of programmatic package compare to other religious denominations? Has that been explored? That's an excellent question. Um, I would say that uh, historically, when we first um, started uh, doing widespread registration in the in the late 80s and early 90s, um, and kind of putting in starting to put in place some of these trainings and, and guidelines, um, we really felt like we were kind of on the forefront and cutting edge of youth protection within religious denominations. Uh, a lot of denominations uh, these days have have begun to understand the importance of those and have kind of caught up with with some of the things that we're at. But I would say that that uh, our current practices, our current procedures and, and policies uh, would be consistent with what 
would be expected both within religious denominations and uh, within secular uh, camping and, and child care organizations of what, uh, what should, should be happening. Um, we, uh, we've integrated some, some concepts and things from reducing the risk, uh, which is a, a, a training uh, program that is, uh, I think, available through the Church Law and Tax Store, um, but, um, uh, but is done by Richard Hammer and others who have, have uh, a lot of experience, both from the legal perspective and, and the ministerial perspective, on how to approach child protection in, in healthy ways that are, are making sure we're protecting those most vulnerable uh, within our congregations. Okay. That's wonderful to hear that we have uh, stepped out in this journey of safety and protection of the most vulnerable, even when, when we felt maybe we were blazing a trail. So that's good for folks to know. We've talked about this from the perspective of the church, of the institution and protection and safety of children, but we also have the reality of parents, guardians, responsible adults. What are some of the things that parents should be aware of regarding their children's safety and protection in religious settings? I think one of the main things um, that parents can do is is simply uh, to be involved and to ask questions. So if you are um, attending a Community of Christ congregation for the first time, or if you are attending a new Community of Christ congregation that's different than the one you've attended previously, Ask, um, ask the leadership what, what kind of steps and processes they have in place. What are the ways in which you feel like that, that you can trust and, and leave your kids alone um, with, with whoever's going to be watching them while you're you know, during Sunday school or other youth activities? Um, I think it's, it's certainly the parents' prerogative to, to make sure they're comfortable with the level of, of supervision and, uh, and what we have in place for, for youth workers. I think as well, that also is a point to not assume that certain things are being done without asking those questions. Um, We certainly um, work with many congregations and mission centers out there to have as as robust uh, an implementation of these child protection policies and and things as we can. Uh, But I think that, that parents can look at the individual situations for that congregation and ask some questions about that um, because being a a largely volunteer and lay ministry um, priesthood and leadership within congregations, uh, there can be some variance uh, from congregation to congregation as to the way they approach uh, child protection. Uh, Not that they would uh, disregard it completely, but uh, in terms of the layout of their own church buildings and things, they may take uh, slightly different precautions and things than others do. Um, I think also making them aware of kind of your contact information can be can be helpful. So if you're dropping your child off uh, for a, for an event or activity, uh, helping them understand, hey, if there's a if there's an issue for whatever reason, whether it's it's behavioral or there's some some incident that happens that we need to contact you about. What's the way to get in touch with you so that we can let you know as soon as possible what's going on and, and, what, uh, and what's happened? So, so helping that, that communication process, I think, is, is probably the best way that parents uh, can be involved. And if they want to come in and become registered youth workers themselves or simply come through and take the training to better understand what, uh, 
what the church does in terms of child protection, I think that would be a great way to kind of help familiarize themselves with what the church does uh, to help protect their kids at a, at a particular youth event. That's a really good point, Dave. And how would I go about finding where that training is offered? Would I ask my pastor or a mission center? Yes, I, I think uh, I think asking your pastor or you could ask your mission center officer. Those will usually be done um, either on location uh, throughout the mission center. Um, we're we're coming up on on the spring, which is usually a a, uh, a heavy time for a lot of mission centers to be doing trainings as as we're gearing up for the the cam- the upcoming camping season. So many are are trying to get those trainings in place for those who are wanting to be on staffs for youth events coming up in the summertime. Uh, but yes, you can contact them, uh, the, the mission center officers, and they could help you understand. Um, I will say that another way to do the training in some areas where it may not be uh, feasible for someone to travel to a location or for a trainer to travel to your location, uh, we have provided a Uh, DVD video to all of the mission centers as part of their child protection training kit that would uh, that is a a video of the training being done by a former uh, child protection coordinator Karen Waring uh, who worked in our office um, uh, a few years ago and uh, and was videoed doing the training and uh, and that also would would be satisfactory to to complete as the training either to become a youth worker or to become more familiar with the process. Wonderful. Lots of different opportunities and ways to get the information. So, uh, Dave, is there anything else as we kind of conclude our this part of our interview? Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add that maybe you thought of as we were kind of talking about youth worker and child safety? Well, I, did, I think we just, uh, not, not specifically, but I do want to emphasize uh, that the child protection really is a priority for Community of Christ. Um, and I say that not just as someone who works uh, with it there, but but in conversations with with people throughout uh, throughout the church, uh, both the U.S. and and as we try and implement uh, child protection policies in in other nations um, in, in ways that that uh, are workable for them, that we find that it it is it is essential and important uh, that it is critical to really be focused on protecting children and youth, both from a legal perspective, but also from a ministerial perspective, that having kids who feel like church is a safe place to come to is important to us. And we want to put things in place so that uh, those kids, their parents will feel like they are protected when they are uh, trusting them into our care, and that our youth workers uh, also feel that they have been uh, protected and empowered to offer ministry in ways that will not compromise them or the youth or put them in a position where they would uh, have the potential to to cross a boundary. So trying to help educate um, all those involved in a way and then kind of continually looking at our guidelines to make sure that we're putting out the right expectations and people are maintaining those in their dealings with children and youth um, is, is an ongoing um, process that we continue to be dedicated to. Um, we have been, uh, have an amazing 
a group of volunteers um, who will help us process those youth worker applications. And we have amazing ministers out in the field who are holding those things up as they're, as they're working with children and youth. And, and we're uh, very proud of all of those who, who dedicate their time to making sure that, that we're doing our best to protect children and youth. Thank you, uh, Dave, for sharing that. Many, many thanks to you today for talking about this. Lots of folks have asked a question. It's been a concern for a lot of folks, and it's wonderful to hear more um, detail about the avenues in which we have in place for youth and child safety. So I want to thank you. Um, You are, again, David Davis, Legal Counsel for Community of Christ, which sounds so official, from the legal (laughs) office there um, at headquarters. And we so appreciate you visiting with us today and the fact that you're willing to visit with us again. And uh, on that conversation, we'll be talking more broadly about mandatory reporting. So, again, this is our new series, Steamers and Sodas, Topics of Discipleship, Ministry, and Resources for Children and Youth and Community of Christ. I'm Karen Peter. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. Dave Hines